Hey guys, welcome back to Studying the Song, where we talk all things audition and music preparation for musical theater. Today's episode is with a good friend of mine, April Josephine. She is uh, currently on the national tour of Mean Girls, and she is going to pull back the curtain and share about... Um, how she booked that, how she rehearsed it, how the show maintains, how she works with an agent, all these wonderful things about the business side of being an actor. But she is also this very spirit and heart-centered person. So she talks about um, figuring out who she is as an artist and the journey of using self-tapes and how that actually released her from Uh, some of the obstacles she faced before self-tapes were a thing. So if any of this interests you, which I know it probably does since you're here, uh, stay tuned. We'll be talking to April in just a minute. Welcome to Studying the Song, a podcast to help musical theater actors figure out what to sing and how to sing it so that you shine in your audition, one-woman show, or leading role. My friends, talent and passion are only the beginning. I believe there is freedom in preparation. I believe that when you put in the work, practice the skills and do the research, something amazing happens. You become so prepared in your craft that you become unstoppable. In this podcast, I wanna give you the tools and skills to create a powerful audition book that showcases your artistry and actually gets you work. I want you to feel totally at home reading the musical score of a show, and I want to help you define your unique artistic voice. Consider me your own personal vocal coach in your earbuds, cheering you on and bringing you the reality checks you need along the way. I'm Corey Yamaoka, and I'm so excited to be walking this journey with you. Let's dive in. April Josephine, welcome to Studying the Song. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Let me introduce you a little bit. I already gave like a very brief intro at the beginning of this episode, but let me just tell everybody, April is a dear friend of mine who I've known, you know, back in San Diego 15 years ago. Crazy. But she's been doing so much. Here is what she's up to right now. April is a um, Manhattan-based actor, dancer, singer. She loves the art of storytelling in any and all forms. She grew up in sunny California and had the opportunity to grow and work in many regional productions in California um, at uh, production houses like La Jolla Playhouse, Moonlight Stage Productions, Lambs Players Theater, La Mirada, McCoy Rigby Entertainment, 3D Theatricals, and the Wealth Resort Theater. You guys, that's just about like everything in San Diego, plus some stuff going up into LA. Um, Her other passions include teaching and collaborating with budding artists from tiny tots to young adults. And I love the fact that you still work with kids. I just find that so charming. Um, And she loves to further the growth, safety, and positivity uh, through dance and the performing arts for those people that she's working with. She lives in Manhattan right now, even though you're on tour. And in April, oh no, April, we'll celebrate your fifth year in NYC um, on the 15th of August, which right now, that's like a week away from when we're recording this podcast. Yeah. And what we are really going to dive into talking about is the first national tour of Mean Girls, which you have been on since October 2021. So we're coming up on a year, right? Yeah. We're playing Mrs. George, which is Regina's mom. Yes. Also, some of the other adults, Mrs. Heron and Miss Norbury. And... Yes. Um, I just want to dive in right there. Yes. What is it like being on tour? How did you get the tour? Let's start there. Yes. How'd you yeah, get this absolutely. tour? 
All right. Well, we have been at the time of this recording in COVID for quite some time now, quite some time. Um, And when that happened, as I'm sure a lot of people listening have experienced, been in or know about, um, all live auditions went to Mm self-tapes. And self-tapes are a challenge of their own. And I know you speak a lot about self-tapes, Corey, in your podcast. And I know you work with people that have had to do that. Um, For me, it became uh, a way to... Uh, really finesse my craft and 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 gather sides from breakdowns and then do them because I used to have a lot of self-doubt about choosing things and my path to getting this contract was by doing self-tapes I would go on the equity website I would find some things for like replacements and things like that and um and honestly I I can tell you that it happened that I was doing a self-tape for um Diana the musical for the cover of the mistress role um, and, um, and I forget her name, but she was the, the cover dances in the ensemble and on the equity website, they gave me a song. They gave us a song, a side and a dance to learn. And for me, that's the three things that I can do. I can do those things for you. And when I can do all three, I feel like you might look at me longer, right? Cause I'm giving you all three things from the toolbox. And so I did it. It was a pretty good tape. I was pretty proud of it. Sent it in, didn't hear anything. Then my agents messaged me two days later with another appointment from Telsey because that was for Telsey. So someone had looked at that tape, already had someone, some, you know, wasn't meant to be whatever happened with that. Got another audition. I forget for what, I think it was for Music Man on Broadway actually. And that was my first appointment, like taped appointment from, an, from my agent for a Broadway show. Was for Music Man. Yeah, yeah. Okay. To cover a pick a little lady and dance in the ensemble. Okay. So jazzed. So yeah. how jazzed was I? Oh my gosh. I was like, oh my. So so I put that side on tape, which happened to be, by the way, I think, which is so funny, all of the pick a little lady lines as one person, which boy, did I have, a, <laughs> I had a blast with that. It was so fun. I just. Did you like do different voices and stuff or did you do it as one person? Yes, I did one person. Um yeah. And it ma- and made it conversational. Um, and then I and then I imagined the uh, the off book like um, the mayor's wife. I didn't have to read her lines. She was there in my okay. in my line of sight kind of thing. And then so was Harold Hill. I had a blast with that. Oh and then um, and there was a song in there or something. And then didn't get that. And then um, a week later, I got an appointment for Mean Girls. And the reason I tell this story is because or sorry, an appointment for the sites is because I know there's been a lot of anger and frustration in the last couple of years about there not being in-person auditions. But Corey, I gotta tell you for me and for my partner as well, um, the tapes allowed us to have jobs in the city even during a pandemic and work with kids and do other things that we're kind of been, we've been called to do and then put tapes together with with the small space we had in our New York City apartment in a time and manage the time so that we could get it done. And I would not be on this tour without the opportunity to do self-tapes. And um, and it really, it changed my life. Honestly, it's changed my life because he, here I am, right? So, so it's you're like, saying in contrast to having to like go to the place, yeah. stand in line, put your name yeah. on the list, blah, blah, blah. That would have taken yeah. so many more hours for you. For a normal audition call. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I had to work so much in Manhattan. I came out here. I moved from San Diego, California. Well, actually I was living in LA at the time, but I moved from California out here with like a little bit of savings from the non-union tour I had done and, Mm -hmm. and no job 
and, and was employed because I had a resume of various odd jobs by friends out here referring me to catering things like, like I was doing that hustle and yeah. paying my own way. And the tapes being, being able to do self tapes in a pandemic changed that for me. Um, it, it allowed me, and also for me, you know, not everyone learns quickly. And at dance calls, I used to struggle because there'd been like a fair amount of trauma that had happened in my life before I left California. And that affects the prefrontal cortex and like how we retain information. And for me, sitting with information, I can dance it once I know it. But if I don't retain it quickly, I can't show you that, right? right. And the tapes help people that maybe have learning problems like I do, or, or a, a little bit of a setback in that way or um, process information differently. You know, there's a true advantage to self-tapes if you look at them. I know that not for everyone is that the case, mm -hmm. but it was for me. And so that's how I got that appointment, um, which was a tape. And then it was um, uh, six pages of sides. It was, so it was sides and, and two songs. And then my, my callback was in person, one in-person callback. And then two days later, I, I booked the job. How long from when you submitted your stuff to yes. when you got, like went to callbacks. What's that time difference like? The, the time difference was um, three weeks. Uh, yeah, because it was August of 2021. So it was like the beginning of August, um, perhaps middle of August, got the appointment from my agents to put this stuff on tape. Mm -hmm. um, seven days to finish it. I think maybe six to seven days to finish it. Um, and then turned it in. And then two and a half weeks later, was a, there was a callback. And somewhere in there was when I got the email that was like, you have a callback. Okay, so fairly soon, within a week probably. Yeah, like absolutely. It was like a week, a week and a half um, before I heard. Actually, no, you know what? That's not true. That's not true. That one, it was two weeks. It was two weeks before I heard anything. And then a week later was the callback. So you just sort of just like send it off into the ether yes. and like bless and release. Bless and release. I forgot about, and I got to tell you, Corey, I laughed when I, when I got that callback because when I got the sides, it's this clever script, right? And I was like, I cannot do this. These three women, this teacher, this mom. Then I said, let's, let's not judge our, let's not judge the situation. Let's like sit down for it with it for 20 minutes, sat down with the sides. And I was like, wait a second. I can't, I understand these, these women. I understand them. And then I put the thing on tape. I worked really hard on it. My partner actually helped me because it is three different women and you read for the two that have the meaty stuff. And then, um, and then I was like, but what an absurd, what an absurd role, Mrs. George. Oh my God. She's just something else. And then I laughed because I then got a callback for the, for the show that I had judged the, the idea of first. Isn't that how that goes? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, oh no, we think you can do these absurd characters. And in fact, that's what you're going to be doing for the next year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's awesome. Oh yeah. Tell us what the callback was like. How okay. I love it. Oh my God. So this callback. Oh, this is a great question, Corey. So, so it was my first in-person callback um, in years because <laughs> we had been in a pandemic. And also it was my, it was the biggest thing I'd ever been called back for a production first national tour. Like it's, a, it was, and, um, and it was Casey Nicola and um, Rachel Hoffman at Telsey and Mary Mitchell Campbell, who is a music director um, extraordinaire, who I just admire so much because she's a female music director who's, um, I believe, on the Encores um, staff this year, which is a very big oh. deal. Just like a, a lot of female energy that just make, I'm such a big fan of. 
um, an associate choreographer that always is uh, partners with Casey Nicola and a, and a monitor, a lovely reader. She, he was amazing. Um, and we had to go, we had to show our vaccination status. We had to take a test before we did the callback. And Corey, I had become so familiar with Ripley Greer during the pandemic because it was still open and I would go in and I would do self-tapes because it wasn't as crowded. The, the, the crowdedness of auditioning used to really get into my head. It made me anxious. I'm not anxious about a lot of things, but I was really my, uh, an imposter in my own industry. And I became really familiar with Ripley Greer when there was no one around. And then the day of that callback, I booked a room. I knew exactly which room I wanted. I did a vocal warm up. I did some planks and I went in and I was shaking, but they knew the people behind the table were like, it's a pandemic. You all are coming back into this. Like just, they wanted me to succeed so much. It was wild. And, and, um, and I just felt that energy from across the table. It was almost like I stood there and I was like, I feel like the work is done. And my job is to just be a vessel of what I know and be a vessel of receiving whatever they may give back to me. As far it was, as adjustments or energy. Exactly. Or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I did the stuff um, and I brought a blazer in because the women are so different. Mrs. George is like high heels and a skirt, you know, and, and Ms. Norberry is more grounded and she, um, and she she's, wears a blazer and she's a teacher. So I... I brought it into the callback room with me because I was like, this has been the thing that helps me so much. I'm just going to do it. And it was the absolute right choice. They gave me the time to do a side. And then, you know, and I came in as off book as I could be, which was, I was memorized, but I kept the script in my hand because situationally, you never know what might throw you. And then you can just look right down at it and it's right there. And um, I biffed one line. And because um, I forgot to respond to the monitor, I mean, to the reader, I'm sorry. And he was so lovely. And then I looked down and we got back into it. And then Casey Nicholas said, well, I mean, you were so grounded after you fucked it up. So you want to do it one more time? I was like, absolutely, I do. <laughs> <laughs> They're just people. That's so They're awesome. People. And then he yeah. was just, and then they just sat there. And he's like, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And then he's like, Mary wants to take you behind the piano. You want to, um, so, you know, so I did a side and that was so scary for me, Corey, because during the pandemic, and I know our chakras are also connected to all that, but I was so tight in my, in my throat. Can we just take a moment to pause and say that yes. you have a background, you're a trained Pilates instructor, you're yes. very much about the body and energy very and all much. of that. So when you yes. bring these things in, you really know yeah, what true. you're talking about. Okay. Back to chakras. Okay. Yes. So, so, you know, if you've, you know, when you process things that are happening in the world, as well as to your dear friends or your loved ones or to yourself, we hold things in our bodies and we, and we have to try our best to release them, but sometimes they exist there until we can release them. And I really think a lot of the pandemic and the things we saw happening in the world affected how we sing, you know? Um, it's a podcast for a whole nother day, I feel like. Yeah. But, I, but there was, you know, one particular note that was a little tight on the end. And she's like, let's just play with it. Also, let's see if you if you can play within the chords." She's like, you sound fantastic. And I nearly died because I was like, this woman has been a is is a is a force in the musical theater world and I admire her so much and she gave me this compliment that just like affirmed my existence and then I did it again and a couple more times she's like this was so great it was so great to meet you and and then I left and I was like there's no way that could have gone any better it didn't matter that I I flubbed one line 
Um, Casey gave me one adjustment about um, how Mrs. George is like, yeah, she's, yeah, you're playing the honesty of it. I love that. Lean into the honesty because Mrs. George can sometimes be considered a caricature and she's not. She's very much a character and um, a very much a real person in this show, you know, with a heart and all that. And so um, I did the one adjustment and they were like, fantastic. And then I got the call two days later from my agent, um, but it came in the form of like a, hey, love to check in on you uh, with a Zoom appointment, see how you're doing. Cause I know you've been putting in a lot of tapes and love to just like do a check-in. So she disguised it as that and then wanted to videotape my like not Reaction. finding out I booked it. That's so sweet. Weird. I know That's I get so, so teary just thinking about like, it makes me emotional. I have the most incredible agent. Um, it's Nicole, her name is Nicole. She, uh, she is the, um, she owns Firestarter Entertainment. Um, she's really good friends with Jacole oh, in yeah. San Diego. Um, I met her doing ragtime at San Diego Musical Theater. I met Nicole doing ragtime. She was a singer and an actress. And she was years. in the show with you. And she was in the show with you. She was oh, our okay. Sarah and she okay. was incredible. Mm. And um, and that journey is a whole, we can talk about that if you want, but that she just mentioned to me one day, like if you're interested in switching agents or whatever, like I really like your work ethic, chat with me. And it ended up being seven months later, the absolute right thing to go with her and with Arbender, my mentor, who is also part of Firestarter, but he's on Broadway. So he does management. He's a, he's more of a manager um, okay. type position. And, um, and to, that was the richest part of this for me, I'm getting so emotional just talking about it, is I, this, first of all, she's a, a fierce female and I just, I adore her. I adore Nicole so much. She cares so much about her clients and she puts our hearts first and what's, and what's best for our hearts. And, um, and anyway, I'm just so thankful for her. I get emotional just like talking about it because she, she was, she's a huge part of this journey. Let's so. talk about the agent relationship. Yes, and then you and yes. then you said manager and that that's something yes. different and people Absolutely. go to New York and it's like, when do I get an agent? Do I need right. a manager? How do I pick um, what right. is right for me? What, yes. was, what Can you just speak to some of that? Like how does an actor Absolutely. who doesn't have an agent sort of start down that road? What should they be looking for? What should they stay away from? Warning signs? Yes. Just share. Yes, Um. so I... Um, I have had two agents in my lifetime, um, and and Nicole uh, Firestarter Entertainment has been the one that I've had for the last I want to say seven years now, um, and the and the right um, fit. It's so scary because you know there is some wonderful musical theater programs, college programs in the United States, and um, and they there is a a lot of um, pressure I feel but also importance because it it is important right put on getting signed with someone because this industry is so um what's the word uh, saturated with wonderful talent right mm -hmm. that an agent um helps to sort of um advocate for clients so that they get appointments and get seen by casting directors and directors and artistic directors and collaborators and such um because they have and, those relationships with the folks, right? And they trust the agent to field the best talent towards them. Okay. Exactly, exactly. And um, and it it can seem, you know, the thing that I've seen a lot of that I and a lot of people that I've worked with everywhere, not just tour or anything like that. It 
a lot of our reliance to get appointments, we put on agents, right? Our agents or having an agent because it does open doors, right? It does open a fair amount of doors. I would not have gotten the appointment I had gotten without Nicole's help. However, they, and I know Firestarter speaks to this all the time, they can put, they put in as much effort as they can, right? They are very hard workers, but we also have to work just as hard auditioning, doing the open call thing. So agents, so a manager is someone who sort of oversees like your package. Like, um, are you a, are you a pop singer? Do you, um, do you have a book that's like maybe the same five kick, kick butt songs, but can they, can they sort of um, lean into other genres than the ones they were originally written for? Sort of like, how can I package and, and present you so that my coworker agent person over here or your agent can then get the appointment? Because the agent's the one that gets, that secures appointments from these casting directors. A manager is the one who sort of helps mentor, not sort of fully does help you um, keep an eye out for projects you might be right for, as well as help sort of mold and collaborate with you to create um, the artists that you want to present to the world. So do you have a manager as well? Yes, I do. And did you get a manager before or after being signed and getting an agent? How do those things happen? I had an agent first. And then when I moved to the East Coast, Nicole said, um, uh, we have a manager um, who works with these clients on the East Coast, and we'd love for you to collaborate with this person. You're going to love him. And my first thought was, oh my gosh, but I found you and I love you. And and then, but they still are both working with me. So he came second, Arbender Robinson, wonderful human being, an educator as well, um, which I think is huge because he has a heart for that. And so it came second. And do the do those relationships, they usually sort of recommend one another kind of thing, or that does an agency have managers on staff also that are all under the same company? I think it's different. That's a great question. I think it's different in every um, agency uh, because I know I have a friend, a dear friend of mine who has an, a manager who is not in the same company as her agency. And I think he was managing and mentoring her after college and helping her build her, um, like what she had for, for self tapes and, um, and footage and things like that. And then her agent was getting her appointments. Whereas I have the two people working under the same umbrella and Arbender, if there's a new possible client, he'll take them under his wing and be like, here's what we need from you. We need three, we need new headshots, right? I'm looking at your thing and these are great photos, but you know, what would be great, A, a refreshed look or some like day-to-day looks where we just happen to catch you with the camera or like the, my latest assignment is I have to get some footage of me acting some scenes that aren't musicals or anything. Some like good acting work. Cause we don't have a lot of footage of that. It's very hard to get footage <laughs> in, yeah. in equity houses and things like that. And so, so he's given me an assignment to work on in the next 12 weeks or so, which is great. That's fantastic. Thank you for yeah. sharing that. Um, one more, one more question about that. That's just sort of logistical and nitty gritty, but I think it, it's a good question. How does pay work for those people that you're hiring? Yes. How are you paying them? When do they make money? Yes. So um, that's a great question. So I, um, every agency has a different um, baseline, but if, say for regional, right? When I was playing Anita in West Side Story, um, it was just below or no, it was just above the minimum that they will take a 
a weekly minimum that they'll take a amount from. If it's lower than a certain amount, they won't take a weekly amount from. There's there's rules about that. You're saying your pay for your pay for playing Anita, they take a portion out of that. Yes, okay. they do. And I was just above like that pay was just above uh, what would be considered the minimum. Okay. Uh, if you go below that, they won't take a commission from you because they're like, that's your, you know, they, they want you to have a, a livable wage. It's, it's different for every agency, but I believe with equity and bigger contracts, like the one I'm about to speak about, it's a little different. So with, with a production contract, um, they take 10%. And we have it since we're paid every week and it's a long-term contract. They get paid um, every every week that the paycheck comes to us. So it gets taken out of the paycheck before we even see it, which is great. And then it goes, that um, commission goes to whomever is considered part of the team. So I'm not sure how payroll works at Firestarter, but since it's like, you know, since uh, my manager and agent are within the same um, company, I'm not paying 10% for my manager and 10% for my agent. It's all, yeah, which is really lovely. Yeah. But that might be different for somebody else if they have two different entities that they're working with. Correct. Correct. Yeah. That's great. And this is, you have a very consistent situation where you've been doing this now for almost a year. It's all automated, right? Because it's probably direct deposit or whatever. But, and you said it's getting taken out before you even see it. That's right. Um, how did and that works the same way even if you're on a month contract kind of situation or something yes. shorter? Yes, it usually does. Um, the the um, they'll set up a direct deposit and it depends on the contract. But I know for one regional contract I did, um, I had to pay, I had to write a check after the run, so I just did the math with my agent. And we and like they, I believe if I'm not mistaken, equity also helps with this where. Um, they'll, they'll tell us how, because we also are paying equity every week. We're paying, we're paying not just equity dues every quarter. We're also playing, paying every single week. (laughs) So a lot of things actually get taken out of my paycheck. Also as a New York resident, did I learn? Um, there's a lot, there's a lot to consider, you know, that you have to keep, you have to bear in mind with your decision-making, right. Is like, there's taxes that get taken out, an agent you have to pay, equity dues, insurance every quarter, mm-hmm. um, and, and a few other things. And so for the lat for I remember for Anita, the commission came out later. So I had to plan because the company was small and didn't have the, you know, the means, because all that stuff costs money. Per, you know, having yeah. having a payroll system like that costs money. So so we took out the um, commission at the end. At the end. The so you really have to be on top of your own business as an artist. You absolutely do. It's one of the, it's one of the things, the secret sauces, I don't even know if it's a secret sauce, but it's one of the things in this business that I think um, we really need to talk more about and maybe even in musical theater programs um, is that because it's, it is the financial planning and how to develop side hustles and things like that to help, you know, finance yeah. your career are, is huge and you yeah. have to plan ahead. Yeah, that's great. Uh, um, let's get back to the tour. This was, yes. I, we started with what's it like to be on tour. So now <laughs> let's get back to that question. I love everything that we just talked about and we needed to talk about that. Yes. So now I want to go back before that also, but let's talk about yes. what, how do you learn the show? Is that process the same as when you're going to mount it 
um, just for like in a single theater? Is it faster? I'm thinking of like cruise ships, cruise ship situations where you're like, I'm flying out to Florida. I'm going to learn the show in a week. And then we set sail. How does it work for doing a tour? And then how do you maintain a show and are people coming and going? How long is everybody's contract? How does this work? Yeah, it's pretty wild. So um, what I, what I would consider a big first national tour and many tours that are on the roads, I consider them, especially now having been in one, a giant machine, right? Where we, where we do have individual lives, but it is a business, right? It's a business and a brand. And so they, to maintain the story that was created on Broadway, right? To keep its authenticity, it involves a, a fair amount of rehearsing and finding the right people that fit the, the world of the story. So when I booked this, it was three weeks of rehearsal because I had never done any of it, right? But in a time of COVID, so we can say all these things about mounting a show and then now plus COVID, even if in your city, it's not, it's, it's high or low numbers or whatever because of union regulations to maintain safety, this has thrown a lot of extra um, care and considerations that have to be added to the process, right? So we were supposed to rehearse at the New 42 Studios in New York City when we started over again in 2021 because the tour had been out in 2019 for six months and then it got shut down in March of 2020 and everyone in the cast, yeah, everyone in the cast had to go home. And that's how I got the job. The woman who played this role, wonderful woman, um, Galen Miller, she's been in a few things on Broadway. She had a baby. And so there was a lot of life stuff that happened, you know, in many shows. And so a few of the roles had to be recast and, and it wasn't everybody, right? So like the four or five of us that were joining the cast were flown out to Tempe, Arizona a week before the rest of the cast. And that's where we began the tour because they figured it would save money and also COVID risk if we all just went to the town or the city where the tour was going to begin. Got it. So the other yeah. people were rejoining from that initial six month run. That's they were right. coming back to it. And then you said five of you brand new. Yes. Was it five okay. of us? Yes. So it was our, our Regina George, myself, mm. um, uh, two ensemble members, Erica and Lamont. And um, I want to say a, an ASM, one of our ASMs, and quite possibly someone else, plus a new set of COVID safety um, managers who have been our lifeline during this. So everyone else <clears throat> um, came a week and a half later, I want to say, or two weeks, was it two weeks? No, it was a week later. Uh, but we started the, the show, we started the contract with the dance captains, the two dance captains, the swings, and our standby, English Bernhardt, who was who started as a standby for Katie Heron, Janice, and Regina. And now she is our Katie Heron, which is awesome. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we rehearsed and we were given a drop box, each of us, of our um, of the script and our music a few weeks before we started. And it wasn't like, you need to know this by the time you come in. It wasn't anything like that. It was like, look this over, learn it if you want, get familiar with it if you want, we will work with you. Um, my advice to anyone joining a tour though, with that has already been open is, is do, do look at the Dropbox. <laughs> 
get on that. Right, because it's like you go in and you're like, I haven't rehearsed in years. And then you're also meeting all these people and you're learning like what a stage is again. And so it's like, yeah. And there's the actual script and music. Right, that's right. (laughs) So I'm glad I did that. And also like you have to find your voice again, right? So so that was the most difficult thing for me is like these these women are have character voices. They're not one of them is a little heightened the and the others aren't crazy, but they do sit in different places on my larynx and things like that. Plus singing two songs by myself in a first national tour is something I'd never done before. Mm-hmm. Um and so it was it was j- just the right amount of work to to introduce me back into theater, which I'm so forever grateful for. If it was meteor, I might've lost my mind and been scared to death, but it was just the right amount. And we rehearsed um, with our stage manager, our PSM first. She gave us our blocking because she was so reliable and our director, Casey Nicola and Casey Hushton were remounting the prom and Book of Mormon at the same time. They entrusted her and she was incredible with giving us the information as well as the dance captains working through old footage to teach the new ensemble members what they wow. were doing. Yeah. Wow. So we did it for a week and then the whole cast joined after testing COVID, all that stuff. They, we did all these things and then they joined the week after and the, and the, our show is very dance heavy. Um, not for me, oddly enough, as though I, even though I come even from though that's one of your specialties. <laughs> yeah. it's just, I can't tell, I can't wait to get back to dance class, Corey. I, I gotta yeah. tell you, um, it's been so amazing to flex these muscles that I didn't, I didn't even think were possible, but now I have these other muscles that I need to flex again, but they, the ensembles, I mean, you have to build up your stanima after COVID you have after a a long pause and things like that. And so we took those um, two weeks, two and a half weeks before we moved into the theater where we opened the show and we did um, a week and a half of tech. And I think it was three or four days of previews before an official opening night. And then once you're, how long do you usually stay in a single location or does it just vary? Woo, this varies now with a first, with a first national tour, there's usually a lot of what we call sit downs, which is where you go to it, you on an equity um, national tour, you stay somewhere usually for a week or more. So a sit down is like more than a week, right? And you can kind of be in that city and you're kind of living there for a little bit. Correct. Okay. Because of COVID, a lot of tours, including ours, are dealing with the markets across the United States and trying to help those economies make back what some of what was lost because huge amounts of money were lost and or returned, right? Because people couldn't see shows. So it was like, well, then give me back my subscription or I'll get this or I'll watch this show in 2022. Like one of the most valuable things about being on tour is learning how some of these markets work. I've learned a lot. Yeah. Um, and it's, and, and so like for us, Mean Girls was pushed into a lot of brackets that um, were, that are in 2023 or late 2022. And if that makes sense. So what that means is that we were going to cities for a week and then we had to go to another city the next week to kind of try to, to grab as many markets as possible to help them refill their seasons, if that makes Rather sense. than staying somewhere for like three weeks. Correct. Okay. Correct. So you actually had shorter stays in each city so that yes. you could visit more cities. Yes. Help more of these markets. Yes. City economies get back on track. Okay. That's great. 
And and it uh, the the um, thing I will say is we did have a few sit downs. We sat down in Dallas, Texas. We sat down at the Kennedy Center in Washington D.C., which was an absolute dream come true. Although I did get COVID and was out of the show for seven days, but because I sat down, <laughs> I wasn't left behind while I was in quarantine, which was nice. And it's a beautiful city to to walk around in if you're sick. You can find a lot of places to hike and things like that where you're by yourself. Um, and that might be something we talk about in a second. But yeah, so so there was a few sit downs. The 2023 season of Mean Girls is a lot more sit downs. They're sitting down in San Francisco, Los Angeles, um, Denver for a couple of weeks, and then they finish out in Florida. They do a few week longs in Florida, which is where the tour shut down before I joined. So it's like oh, okay. a very full circle situation for a lot of them. Got it. Which is cool. Yeah. Cool. One last question. I know we've been talking yes. about touring a lot, but I haven't talked yes. about this on the show. And I think it, yeah. there's so much that you're sharing that is you don't know until you get into that situation, right? And That's it would be great. very helpful to know that all of this is part of it. It's not just like, I'm oh going to be a yes. star and I'm going on the road and we're staying in hotels, right? Like there's very... It feels like, yes, you think it's that. <laughs> but there's real like business orientedness. It is a business and it's a machine, like you said. My last question is just yes. how do... Um, how does the contract work? Do they take you on? Does, it, does everybody expected to go for a year or six months or do different people sign on for different lengths? Yes. So uh, yes, the general answer is that it's different lengths of contracts most of the time. Um, in If we're talking equity tour world, there's different tiers and levels of contracts. Um, there's a SETA tour, which has its own um, set of things. And I know one of the things that's common with a set of tour is that you're on for say six months and you have like six weeks where you do show, excuse me, where you do shows and then you get laid off for a few weeks. And then you come back on the road and you do more shows and they get laid off. That doesn't happen with the production level tour, which is what a lot of the first national tours are like Hamilton and things like that. We signed um, the people that had been on the tour in 2019 were asked to stay on, to come on the road again, September, 2021, and stay on for a year. And a lot of them said, no, uh, let's do six months and see where we're at at the six month mark. Because with the production tour contract, if you are an ensemble member, which means you receive a chorus contract at the six month mark, in most cases with the production level contract, you can tell them I will stay on, but I will not sign the rider which means that I'm committing to the next six months. Instead, I would like to give you four weeks notice if I book something else of equal status, meaning I can't just say, I'm gonna go do a regional con um, contract of um, in the Heights, right? It has to be the same level as the production contract, which is a Broadway contract. Now, one of the things that's changing in our industry um, which might be a podcast for another day, but is the fact that dialogue is allowed to be had, leaves of absences and things like that, where it's not just like, no, because, because we are considering people's mental health now, as well as families, yeah. right? Like, like inclusivity includes families and, and, and the care, say you have a special needs sibling or something like that. Like these are all things that are being talked about more which makes a healthier workplace, I will say. But yeah. the expectation set is that, yes, you stay on for what you've committed to. I 
was asked to stay on for a year and anyone joining in 2021 was was um, that hadn't done the tour before was told was asked to stay on for a year and there wasn't much negotiation with that um and then if they is is as long as all goes well it's very hard to mess that up once you you know you get there they usually ask people to stay if the tour continues um, yeah. And then, and, and in that there's usually, you can negotiate with representation, which is why it's great to have representation, a pay bump or things like that. So how do you learn all the stuff that you just talked about? Is oh that gosh. just stuff you learned along the way or did your agent is there it coaching is, you through all of this? It is, you know, it's so funny. You should say this. I feel like that we should, I should write a book or something because there really is a lot of stuff here that you learn as you go, or you're like, I wish I had known, right? Like one thing I learned from my coworkers, right? Because I didn't know all this, but I've learned over the years because I've been doing this for a long time, but I would always talk to people that are in tours before I booked tours. Mm -hmm. I would get all the no, because I wanted to create a life where I was actually able to support myself in the arts, right? I want, which is different, which is different than creating new work that makes a difference in communities. Sometimes the two are not the same world. Sometimes they are, but sometimes one is a big, huge commercial theater contract, which is what I have. And then I can take what I've learned, what I know, what nest egg I have, and then I can do that juicy work. That's the good stuff, you know, that's like really. And so you have to know the difference and you have to know how to navigate both. So I did learn a lot of this once I was on the road, but I had done, <clears throat> I've been doing theater for quite some time. So I've, there's a, there's a rule book and a ton of knowledge on the equity website, the actor's equity website that people just sometimes don't know that is available to them, but it is. And you can read up on a lot of it. And you, and I say, it never hurts to ask people who know, like pick their brains, listen to podcasts like this. Absolutely. Yeah. But yes, maybe we need to write a book. <laughs> I, I, I also wonder though, if it would just be shifting so often yes. that a book might become outdated too quickly. But right. at least having master classes or information sessions or something like that, where you can be like, this is tour business 101, how to, I don't know, That's organize a your contract. Idea. Yeah, yeah. Tour, because it is an evolving thing and it should, it should constantly evolve. It should be constantly changing to meet the needs we need as we are evolving and, and, and living as a society in a world where we're trying to make art. Because like one of the things that, that, you know, is considered now is like some of these towns are not safe, right? So it's like, what's walking distance from the theater? What's in our contract to be a car city where we have a car? All these things that you just don't know about till you begin the tour, right? And um, and especially as we move towards a more diverse world, uh, like we, we try to, uh, casting directors and producers are, tr are in many ways trying to make sure that they really are living up to what they say they are, which is diversifying companies, cast, crew, um, hair, all of it. You have to consider that their safety in towns as well. It's not just the workspace. It's where they're staying yeah. for the week and things like that, right? So like an ongoing touring 101 or like a, like a forum that evolves and is a brilliant idea. That's a yeah. brilliant idea. In fact, yeah. I would love to do something like that. Maybe I you should. You might be a great person <laughs> to organize that. You know, plenty of other people you could invite as guests. Yes. yes. Um, to all right, everybody, be on the lookout. April Josephine, uh, touring business classes, <laughs> in addition to Pilates classes and all the other. Great.
Um, let's take a, a diversion from tour life right now. Yes. I want to talk about you as an artist. Maybe we should have done this first, but it's a, we're flip-flopping today. You mentioned that you're sort of dancing is one of your main skill sets. And interestingly, you're not actually using that to its full capacity on the Mean Girls tour. Um, yeah. Tell me about your, your, um, well, how do I say this? How you're approaching type and your niche right now in the, in the industry. Um, we're in a world where a lot of things are becoming more open and available to more actors. Um, yes. And yet we still have old um, toxicity and old habits and infrastructures that are still in place also. Um, yes. It's not just like, hey, everybody's included and now instantly things are different. Um, so, yeah, tell me about what's the kind of work that you do? What are your strengths? How has your experience been with trying to find a way for yourself and um, who you are as an actor? This is, a, oh, my gosh, what a beautiful question this is. Um Yes. So uh, I used to say that I'm a dancer first, but I watch what these kids are doing every night of the week. And, and the age I am now would not do well doing what they do. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's young ones. And once you hit 30, 31 with this particular show, you're not dancing in the ensemble anymore. It is so much work um, that is really hard to heal from right? You have to have healing time. And in a big machine like this, especially with week-long shows, Monday is our travel day and our day off. So it's not, you know what I mean? So it's like, so I have had a lot of time to reflect on this on tour and journal about it, right? And, and figure it out because I was in a safe place to finally do that. It wasn't like I was going into an audition room and wondering, right? Was this what I should be doing? No, I'm, I'm doing this every night of the week. So now let's think about it. And a lot of us join the arts or performing arts as an outlet or a safe space, right? Um, and what I have learned about myself is that dance is probably one of the most therapeutic outlets that I have, but it doesn't mean I have to lead with that for the rest of my life. Mm, that's good. That's really good. It's one of the most therapeutic outlets you have but you don't have to lead with it for the rest of your life. That's huge. It's keep going, huge. keep going. <laughs> and you know me, Corey, so you know that like this is very revelatory because you are you are one of the people I will never forget who, who just oh so calmly, casually did affirm that yes, April, you can do all three things. You can sing, you can't, right? So I was, I was, um, uh, what's the word? Um, count, not counting myself out for things. What is it? Um, I was kind of an imposter for years. Yeah. Um, when it came to like trying for roles or things that weren't just dance, right? Yeah. I, I didn't have the financial background um, to, con to have the training vocally that uh, a lot of people have had um, or, the, or even like the ability to go to um, high, higher education, really wonderful programs that exist. Sometimes it's hard to get in there um, you, certain things that you, you know, information and tax work that you need, your family might not have things like that. Right. Yeah. So I became kind of a scholar of the road and then, and then have learned, okay, if you want to, if you want to explore these other entities, how can you get the training you need or, or the knowledge of the classes? Right. And so once I realized like, 
dancing is a form of storytelling where you can physicalize movement and you know your body, April. So how does that help humanize a character, right? Mm -hmm. Go forth with that. It kind of started there. And then I started singing more just because, even in New York, like at home, vocal warmups, whatever it was, in order to, because it's a muscle as well. So everything that I got in my dance background, I sort of have applied to acting and singing and been like, it's also a muscle and we have to use those muscles and try them and become familiar with them so that we can then apply them in the room. So going back to like becoming a character actress, right? I would consider myself a character actress now. And we're very lucky that there are a lot of female identifying roles nowadays that are interesting and charactery, right? Mm-hmm. And inspiring. So what I would say to people is um, I had a lot of wonderful guidance from my manager, Arbender, who's passionate about teaching, where when I moved to the city, he was like, you don't fit into a box, April. You are not from the MFA program, blonde hair, complete Caucasian. I'm mixed race, right? So uh, yeah, and and I and you have this voice that's you are very, you know, he, he was very sweet to me and very kind was like, you, you have um, you accuracy with your voice. You are, you are on pitch, all the things, right? But you don't fit into a complete classical musical theater and you don't fit into a complete um, pop. Pop rock, yep. They sound, right? Yep. And what's ironic is like the, the breakdown for this show, I screenshotted it and I'll have to send it to you one day just for shits and giggles. But it basically said like a unique um, vocal tone that visits Broadway and pop visit something like visits, and I was like that is me to a T because like I can live in the in the heights world and I but I can also live in the my fair lady world and I can live in the um West Side Story classical world but I also have like some great rock tones that I've that I love to now flex on the daily but you don't know till you try right so here's what my here's what my manager said to me he said if you love the song and it lights you up inside, there's probably a way to make one song work for more than one audition. And it's like the same thing all the time, right? Like it's yeah. like, we have to have knowledge, right? We have like, like I had an, an appointment months ago for the Neil Diamond musical and was like, oh my gosh, what is this? And then I sang this song and then his songs were in my head for days, but I wasn't listening to Neil Diamond at the time, but we must kind of approach this world as like an explorer as an artist who's exploring. And you will not believe the synchronous moments that'll start popping up where you're like, oh my gosh, this song, I'd actually love to sing it. You know, like this new Sarah Bareilles song, the words speak to my heart. So I'll bet the notes will line up with the emotions if I sit down and try it for a few minutes, right? Guess who can, but guess who can only tell you if that works or not? Yourself, right? You have to be honest with yourself and and whoever your trusted, people are that you're working with music on your, your music director or your accompanist who you work with on that stuff. That's where the good art is. Right. And then if you take that into audition rooms, you yourself are breaking what possible casting molds there are. Cause here's what I will say to you about the toxicity and things that do exist in the industry still for every toxic or still thinking inside a certain box casting director there is there is another casting director or artistic director who wants to break that box yeah and and so if i say this to give hope to people i there is a like for i'm not going to name names but there's a certain casting director in manhattan who i will never get seen for like a certain role that 
I know I'm spitting right for, but it's because I'm just not what they see as it. And that's okay. Right. That's yeah. okay. You, what, what's meant to be ours won't pass us by, but also in the process of learning to love the pieces you sing and love to, to reckon with your feelings and emotions and your own growth in your life, take those, apply it to the music you're learning and take that into audition rooms and the roles will meet you where you are. 100%. I love listening to you talk about this because you don't come from like this standard. I was in, you know, middle school and I started taking voice lessons and then I was doing competitions in high school. And then I went to musical theater for college. Right. Um, and, and that's great getting that training and you learn a lot of things at a young age about repertoire. Right. Yes. Oh my God. It's, in, it's invaluable. <laughs> but you're also learning all the modes of those teachers and them telling you this and this and this and this. And what you're saying is, which I think is very dancery of you. It's like, how, what, how does this make me feel in my body? What is turning me on energetically? And I can sing anything if I can find a way to connect to it. I yes. can sing rhythm. I can sing rock. I can sing contemporary musical theater, whatever it is if it connects to my spirit and that's yes. what you're saying that that spirit centered performing the spirit centered auditioning will bring the right roles to you that's right and then Good. and then I, I i like to call myself a lifelong learner and then with that of course find the resources that you can afford they exist in the world i am the queen of finding things on youtube or wonderful people like yourself who who can give me information. And then when I can afford to pay for a lesson or, you know, in a time period where that was the, where that was the issue, right. Then I'd go to you for a lesson or someone else or write whatever I'd save my pennies and my, you know, from my bartending shift or whatever it was, then go to the lesson, then take the free, um, you know, class at New York vocal coaching studio or whatever, do the thing and then keep applying that and be a lifelong learner. Because when you start Acting like a lifelong learner, the information will come to you. The right community will come to you. You know, it that. really will. Yeah, it really, because it's so scary to think like, because listen, I battled this my whole life. Like, oh my gosh, I didn't get an MFA at, at San Diego State. I will never. And listen, there is a learning curve. These, because it's a, it's a wonderful program for learning rep. It is an incredible program for learning all that stuff. And so you, you do feel sometimes like an imposter around people your same age who have all this knowledge, but guess what? That knowledge, they're literally talking about it to you in the dressing room, right? So go ahead and use it <laughs> and then keep looking out for funding and things like that, that could maybe even get you in those rooms if that's where you're supposed to be in, in the academic setting to help you. But a lot of our theatrical information in the world is available to you even if you don't have the immediate resources that we think of, which is like the admission into an MFA program. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. and all the odd, for me, it's like all the odd jobs I ever did helped me become a better actress because I was people watching all the time, you know? Oh, and yeah. so situationally as an artist, I think that's what brings out our humanity is if we really do become aware of the humanity around us and become a lifelong learner. That's great. Um, we just have a few minutes left. I'm interested to know what kind of work do you want to do next? What is sort of a light in front of you that you're like, I think I want to go there next. What's next for you? I love this question because it's, um, because the timing is perfect. The timing of this question is perfect. Um, okay. So here it's two, it's two part. I, um, 
I want to work in Midtown, meaning I want to work on Broadway. And now I know it's possible. This mm-hmm. contract uh, helped me get rid of my imposter syndrome. I have this amazing year-long tour that has given me that gift of like, yes, April, you can do this eight times a week and you can do it well. You can maintain your body and your voice and rest and do all the things you need to well. But I want to be in a place where I'm doing that and working in a community that I belong to, to help bring the arts in a rehabilitative state. So there's a couple things I'm looking into. One is um, when the pandemic started, Dwan and I, my partner and I, we were doing Meals on Wheels um, because a lot of the elderly folks in Manhattan were told to stay inside. So we were giving food out in that way. And uh, as I have toured the country, Corey, I have seen so much devastation in the United States because our country is not well and mental illness is at an all time high and we're gonna continue to see the ramifications of that. So New York City has some phenomenal um, rehabilitation through the arts for the prison system and rehabilitation or at um, uh, outreach arts for at-risk youth, um, foster care kids, all this. That is where my heart and soul is absolutely lit up. Like I, I, and I know I can't do the work I'm doing forever in a, in a big commercial show without also doing that, because that's what I was put on the planet to do. And I believe with a Broadway credit and the rapport I can build in that community, that's going to then immediately help me to, um, serve the community right around me. And I'm so excited to do that. So you mean working on Broadway, getting this credibility, uh, you know, building your platform as it were. And so what would that next step be like? How do you want to work with these communities? I'm just fascinated. Your heart is so big and so generous. And um, I'm tearing up just at your, how you want to sincerely help people. So how do you imagine? Is that just like fundraising? Is that teaching? Is that building programs in schools? Or what is that? For me, it's definitely on the ground. Um, we, so at, we at Mean Girls have this um, program we started called Changes Fetch. And it, it is this outreach program where we're, where we're temporarily in these communities and we try to do something for any sort of um, outreach or awareness organization we can. This week, we're focusing on college fund audition, like the audition fees and things like that. We're raising money for, for people to be able to have a fund that they can pull from for things like that, right? Mm-hmm. But what I have found this year is for me, the on the ground in-person work is the most important. So um, rather than like a platform or an, or an Instagram platform, which I know is all the rage now, right? Like that's the thing to do. But for me, it's, it's relationship and connectivity with individuals um, where, I, where I feel like I do my best work. And so I feel like with a, with, with a um, what did you say? Not reputation, the, the word about, just credibility, right? Mm-hmm. Just so that I, so that just to prove that I am a reliable human is really what it's about. Not that I, you know, it is, if I'm working there, there is so much um, community in Manhattan, in New York, in the arts, even on Broadway, of people who know what organizations need help, right? And so like right before I booked this, I was going to start working for an after-school program that was involving bringing the arts to kids. Um, I, had a, I had a community of kids I was working with in Peter Cooper Village, um, which is like a place down in the Lower East Side, great group of kids. Um, but there's these places that I have followed on Instagram or I've reached out to, or I've known from my work in the city before I left 
that I plan to then reach out to when I get back home. And that's honestly probably what I'm going to do first um, mm-hmm. is start that as opposed to like, let's try to audition right away. Yeah. You know, I, I think I actually am going to take a little pause from that. Of course, if an, if an appointment comes in, I'll go to it. But um, I just know New York City was went went through the ringer during COVID, and I care so much about that city, and it's truly my home. And so I know that for me, um, while I have while I have the um, the drive and the little nest egg, so I don't have to worry so much about money right away, I can volunteer my time. Yeah. There's food kitchens that I know about in Upper Manhattan, so I'm just gonna start there. It's like baby steps of like, see where, where I can vibe and see where I need to send in my resume and get sort of background checks. Cause some of that involves fingerprinting and all that stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But a lot, but some of it's volunteer work and I needed, I'm so thankful to have had a job that has allowed me to kind of, um, you know, cause I've hustled my whole life where I can take some time and be like, where do I want to give my time? Cause time is the most valuable commodity, right? We, we don't get time back. And so yeah. I really want to, um, now that I have the ability to kind of like sit and be like, this is where, this is what lights me up and how I can connect to people. That's what I'm going to do when I get to Manhattan. So I'm not sure the exact step-by-step other than sending out a few emails and being like, Hey, I'm back in the city. I just did this. And, um, I'd love to see what you guys might need help with coming up for the holidays. It might not even involve the arts. It might involve food drives. It might involve things like that. But when you get on the ground and you start connecting with people, um, that's when the synchronous moments start happening. At least I feel that's been my case. So. It's just like you said, the roles will find you, the organizations will find you, and the we'll people find, that need help will find yeah. you and you'll find yeah. them. Yeah. Um, April, it's just such a joy to have spent this last hour with you. And I just look forward to seeing what you do next, both as a performer and an artist, but as a human and, and all of these things that you just mentioned, how you want to be caring for people in your community. Um, it's inspiring. And I know you've touched many hearts that are listening today. Thank you oh, for being on. Joy. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Well, I hope that conversation inspired you. It inspired me just listening to April have so much passion and enthusiasm for the art of performing and figuring out, um, you know, what it is to run your business as an actor, as an sort of like an independent contractor. Hope it was helpful for you. If you want to find out more about April, you can visit her website, apriljosephinemedia.com. You can also head over to my website, coryamaoka.com. I've got the podcast hosted there. You can find all of the episodes, listen to them there, and there are show notes for every episode, and I'll put April's link in there. Lastly, if you enjoy listening to this show, please go ahead and give us a quick rating on whatever podcast app you're using and leave a a review in in Apple Podcasts. That would be the most helpful. It shows other people that this is something that actors are benefiting from and that they might benefit from also. In the meantime, I hope you guys are well, safe, healthy, enjoying life, inspired as artists, and I will see you next week right here on Studying the Song.